This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning. Welcome to New Life. You just kind of never know what you're going to get. You just kind of never do. And we love that about us. So if you're the first time here, uh, hold on to your hats and glasses. This here's the wildest ride in the wilderness. And we'll do it together. Um, okay, this is the last teaching in the series called Myths We Believe, and I have loved this series. I have really enjoyed the study that has been required of me to talk about these things. I've really enjoyed the weeks that Ronnie has spoke because that Ron, <sighs> dude, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. It just happens. Every time, it's just deep affection. I've really enjoyed what I have learned in this series. And so that is actually a compliment to you and, and a nickname that you probably don't want to catch on. Um, so this is our last one, and um, I love this one. In fact, in the process of praying through this, I found all kinds of roots of this myth in my own life. So again, I will say, I say this a lot, If you think the speakers up here are experts trying to tell you how to do this right, you are wrong. There's a myth we should pop right there. We are on this journey together. And today, as I make my way through this topic, I may bounce around just a little bit because whatever you find, I don't know if you find this, but in my life, when there's a piece of baggage that needs to go or there's a lie that I'm believing, I find that I can't do it in a logical fashion. It's all kinds of jumbled in there. And because I found roots of this myth in my life, this one might be a little bit jumbled as we talk about what feeds this myth, why we believe it, and how we get it out. So we'll just journey again together. Um, So this myth is like the others, where it always holds a bit of evidence, or maybe a lot of evidence, for why it would be true. That's why we believe it. If there was no evidence for it being true, then we wouldn't fall for this rubbish. Like, we would know better. So this one has the same as all of the others that we have talked about. It sounds true. Although when I read this sentence, I know you're going to say, no, no, that's not right. That can't be right. But if you, like I, in the process of this morning of talking through this, discover I actually live as though this is true, even though I know better and I say it isn't true. So today's myth is I must clean up my act. We all know this is rubbish, right? Like we can see that sentence and we can say, no, that's just silly. That's not really the case. However, we are very aware of sin in our lives. We are very aware of our brokenness. We are very aware of how far short we fall of perfection. What do we do with that? Well, what I have found and what I observe off of my loved ones uh, is that what we do with that is we very often walk as though this myth is true. I must clean up my act. I've actually even noticed that people outside of a religious background, people outside of Christianity specifically, look into Christianity and think, okay, if I was to become a Christian, then I'd have to get my life right. And if we start there outside of the faith, then honestly, once we come into the faith, it's very easy to believe, okay, now the clock has started. Now that I have come in here. And it's tragic. And I would say this myth is killing us. It's sucking the life out of us. And I think it's causing us a major problem when it comes to our reputation in our community. So I want to deconstruct this myth. We deserve freedom. We deserve to walk in confidence. We deserve to stop the hustle that comes with believing that this is true. 
So I want to give us a visual for the morning because I believe that this myth causes us to live as though we are standing around with a measuring stick beside us. That up at the top of this measuring stick is perfection. And I'm going to put the myth at the bottom of this thing. It's up to me to get to perfection. And that is a real problem. And in fact, what I watch off of us is that this stick just beats us all the time. Not perfect, not perfect, not perfect, right? Like, how many times a day do you feel less than perfect? One. (laughs) Whatever. Like, this thing beats us all the time. And also, I believe that because we are harangued by it all the time, it's so tempting to look into the lives of others because we feel yucky, to look into the lives of others and be like, well, they're not either. Which basically what that is, is we take the stick that is beating us and we grab a hold of it and we start whacking each other. Have you been whacked by somebody's stick? (laughs) And it often comes in the form of Bible, right? The Bible says, stop doing that. Like we whack each other all the time. This is a real problem, this measuring stick. I think there's a couple of misconceptions that are underneath it. And I'm going to guess that you, like me, find one of these misconceptions to be the thing that is the evidence that you use to believe that this is true. And maybe, like me, you'll find that more than one of them (laughs) is causing you to believe this is true. So misconception number one is that it is God's will that I be perfect. That sounds good right? Like, is it, is it God's will that I be broken? That can't be true. Is it God's will that I be hurting other people? Is it God's will that I be hurting myself? Is it God's will? Is it God's will that I have baggage? That doesn't sound right. But if we don't find a way to combat that misconception, then this is the misconception that we accidentally live under, is that it is God's will that I be perfect, I think Ron's message last week was stellar. I'm not going to repeat that. I would just say, go back. It was stellar on deconstructing this misconception that it is not about God's will for me to be perfect. That's not the right question. How does God interact with my imperfection is a much better question. So this misconception leads us to believe that I have to pull my bootstraps up and find a way to be perfect. And it's killing us. And in fact, that, that misconception leads us to deep insecurity. And that's the cause for all the judging that we do of each other. If you actually trace that back, the level of insecurity that we feel for this constant pass-fail grade, oh, I failed again, I failed again, I failed again. It naturally leads us to feeling a deep insecurity, which causes us to judge other people. It's killing us. We got to get rid of this myth, this misconception. There's another misconception that is involved in here as well, which is the thought that obedience is what transforms me. Now, I know that God is always right. I know that when he says, hey, do this or don't do that, that that's going to hold water. But it is a misconception to believe that I can find a way to perfection via obedience. Do you need to hear that again, those of you that were raised in the church? Amen. It is a misconception to believe that doing the do's and don'ting the don'ts. Does that sentence make sense? If I do, I'm not going to try that again. 
that somehow the do's and don'ts is what is going to cause me to be perfect, is going to somehow transform me, is going to be that thing that allows me to beat the ruler that's standing beside me all of the time. Obedience does not transform us. And in fact, when I look around, hmm, so I'm just going to call out a thing that I think we all see and know, but we don't talk about very much. Some of the meanest people I know are people of faith. Have you experienced that? That's tragic. That's tragic, and sometimes it's us. This, I believe, is because some of the meanest people I know are some of the most burdened people I know. And I believe that when we get this misunderstanding about faith, that faith is about do's and don'ts, that faith is about getting it right, that faith is about being perfect, that we are some of the most burdened people on the planet. We are not only carrying all of our own dreams, all of our own goals that we are hustling and striving to do, we are carrying the weight of perfection above our heads. And it burdens us deeply. This misconception about obedience being the transforming factor is killing us. All right, I'm going to give you one more misconception, but maybe something you should know about me is that whenever you say, hey, do you want the good news or the bad news first? I always pick the bad news. I always pick the bad news. Who wants to end on a yucky note? I'm doing that to you here. Can you feel it? It's like, oh, this is painful. (laughs) I'm doing that here. I promise hope is coming right around the corner. But if we don't diagnose the problem correctly, then when we offer the hope, we're not sure how to apply it. How does that actually cure the thing that we're believing that's wrong? So hold with me one more time. We have another misconception to go through. Misconception number three is that Christianity is summed up in a moral code. Isn't that so tempting to believe that it is about good behavior or bad behavior? It is about being a good person or being an evil person. It is about doing more good than bad. That somehow Christianity is summed up as this moral code that is all about your behavior. Or sometimes we go even deeper and we say it's all about what you believe. Do you believe the right thing or do you believe the wrong thing? Are you in or are you out? That somehow Christianity is about a moral code alone. Or primarily, this misconception is causing us so much harm in our own interactions, inside of ourselves, as we give ourselves pass and fail grades, and it's hurting our interactions with God. Let's just walk this one out for a second. Let's look at this uh, train of thought about it's all up to me, the myth at the bottom, all the way to perfection. Here are some of the things that come with that train of thought. I'm going to start at the bottom. It's embarrassing that right off the bat, shame is part of this train of thought. Right off the bat, I'm embarrassed that I'm falling short. I'm embarrassed that you're seeing me fall short. I'm embarrassed how often I fall short. And it comes with a sense that there is a timer. When we first become a Christian or when we first discover something in our life that is yucky, it's like it starts a timer in our head. There's only a certain amount of time. I better get this fixed before I move on that somehow it comes down to a rush, a hurry, a hustle, that the clock is ticking. And then obviously I must try harder. That seems obvious. Also, something is wrong with me because we, we're not getting perfecter and perfecter every day. We're not, there's not, has there been one day where you got done and you were like, dude, I was perfect. 
Not one. We're not actually doing it. So then it leads us to believe something is wrong with us. And then in my interactions with God, this is a problem that I have. I don't know about you, but I'll be back when I'm not sounding like a broken record. I'm sorry again. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I did it again. I'm sorry. Like, I can do a certain amount of sorrying as long as it's not the same sorry over and over and over again. Somehow that seems more stomachable to me. But the problem is, I have these very recurring sins in my life, and I want to interact with God on new things, as opposed to, here I am again, can you please help me with this? Can you please forgive it? So we start to distance ourselves from God. And then lastly, it goes with intense spurts of trying, interspersed with exhaustion. Has anybody experienced that? Do you know what I mean? I will, I will, I will. Dude, I can't do this. I can't do this. Never mind. Hands off. I hope that goes away. I guess I'll tackle that on another day. This thing is killing us. So why do we believe this myth that I have to fix this? Why do we believe it? So let's just talk through some of these. Uh, faith begins admitting that something is not working. For those of you that have become a Christian, there is a moment where you realize my life not in partnership with God is not working. And so it starts with an admission that something isn't working, which then also leads us very easily into a, okay, let's go get this thing working. Like we start our own clock. Even if there isn't this moral code beating us over the head, we start our own clock of like, okay, I become a Christian. Let's get this thing fixed. Let's do it. That's, that's part of why we believe it. I think out of gratitude. I don't know about you, but I have actually had the thought salvation is God's gift to me and transformation is the gift that I give back to him. It's my way of paying him back. That is exhausting, especially because I keep past failing. I keep failing all of the time. So I think out of gratitude we do it. God is always right. So I can understand why we like, okay, I am supposed to be doing this thing he said do and I'm not supposed to be doing. So I get that God is always right. So it's easy to think I should, 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 should. And then self-reliance makes sense. It's actually more comfortable to believe that transformation is in my ballpark than in someone else's. It's actually, because it's familiar, self-reliance is a very familiar sensation for us. We like living there even if it's not working for us. But we also like to feel like we have control. Like self-reliance is actually more comfortable than thinking it's someone else's job to transform me. It's someone else's job to fix me. That doesn't seem right. And then to believe other is to be, it is scary. If this isn't true, if I'm not in charge of my own self um, transformation, if I'm not in charge, then it puts the control in somebody else's hands. And that is scary. That what if they don't do their job? What if they don't fix this? What if I am going to struggle with this for the next 10 years? What if they didn't notice that I really need them to do this thing? When you let go of that self-reliance and that control, it's uncomfortable. So let's talk about if it isn't our job, then whose job is it? So I would like to actually say a piece. This, this is the truth. Here is the truth. That it's God's presence that transforms me, not obedience. It's God's presence. And that probably doesn't offer a whole lot of hope at this moment because it is so out of our control. Some of us don't feel that comfortable about getting into God's presence. How do I even do that? Can I hear God's voice? Does he want to be with me? 
Some of us have trouble with that, but even then, it's uncomfortable to leave that control in his hands. Are you saying to me that just being around God is the thing that transforms me? We are Americans, you guys. We want a work ethic. We want goals. We want target dates. We want deadlines. We want accountability. We like to have the control over this. But the idea that it is God's presence, it's his influence. It's his perspective. It's his empowerment. It's his encouragement. It is sitting in God's presence that will transform us not the do's and the don'ts, the moral code and the desire to be perfect and to pull up our bootstraps and to get our behavior correct. When we are changed on the inside by being in his presence, then we are changed on the outside in the way that we want. That is the transformation that we want. It's God's job. So I'd like to go back to that measuring stick and just say... That's a myth. I know we already know that, but there, there's your visual. See this measuring stick? No. No. Don't. I do dog training. Don't. It's nice and clear directives. What I would actually like to say is actually it's not even the point. The question of is it all up to me or is it my job is actually not the point. That's what I'm trying to say there. Not just don't do that because the do's and the don'ts, you know, that's not transformation. This is just not the point. So I'd like to show you a couple of little drawings, and it's they're, I, they're truly my drawings. The way that my um, teaching prep goes, I have these little tiny pieces of paper, and I just scribble out thoughts all over the place. And in this case, I couldn't get words around it, so I just drew something. But please forgive me. I am not an artist. But this was my train of thought progression to this thought process of being in God's presence. So the first one is me... <laughs> I love it. That's so embarrassing. All right. So I've already shared that my view of my failing is like a toxic pit between God and I. I have said that before. But the truth is what I actually think is that I am the toxic pit. I have tried to get these yucky things to stop happening in my life, and they just keep sticking to me. They just keep coming back. So the truth is, what it feels like is, I'm looking at God, and I'm just mortified about this rubbish in my life, and that God is looking at me. But if you'll notice that the arrow, he's not looking into my eyes in this picture. He's looking at my yuck. He's looking at the things that I want to be transformed. That is my first impression. That is my default setting, is I should have gotten this cleaned up. He and I both know it, and he's just looking at it, like, "Mm, that's yucky. So I have been working on erasing this one and moving to the next slide, which which is better. This is better. So now the toxic waste has come between us, and we are mutually agreeing that that thing is a problem. And that's a huge step up. When I can begin to believe that my yuck is not necessarily part of me, but it is a thing that I don't like out here that I want to have fixed, then God and I, I'm actually not afraid of God looking at the yuck. It's no longer so shameful. It is, we can both look at the yuck. But you can look at this picture and you can instantaneously see this is not solving anything. This is not changing me. This is not making me free. I'm still crying. It's still sad. But in this case, actually, I believe that God can be sad with me. So that's something. That's something. This is an improvement on my original default setting. 
But what I believe God would say to us about his presence and how transformation happens is actually my last little drawing. She's happy. Yay. (laughs) I love her mouth. (laughs) This is fun. Um, Okay, this is a game changer because now instead of us fixating, both God and I fixating on the toxic stuff, God and I are looking at each other. And over my shoulder, sure, I'm talking about my toxicity. Sure, I'm talking about that stuff where I'm not perfect. Yes, it's absolutely part of our discussions. But we are not fixated on it. We are in conversations about all kinds of things. These are all of my emotions, which are not all positive, but I'm going to go ahead and put my yucky ones over here. So my positive emotions, we're talking about all of my emoting. Absolutely. We're talking about the people in my life. That's, I spent a lot of time chatting about that. We don't just talk about my toxicity. We talk about the people that I love. We talk a lot about meetings that are coming. We talk a lot about this moment where I'm sharing on this stage. We talk a lot about stuff that's coming down the calendar. How does I, how do I feel about it? What do I want him to tell me about that? What do I need to know that he feels about those things? We're talking about all of it. And then these are my vacation dreams. We talk about vacation. Um, We have hopes and dreams. And in that case, it's just vacation. I don't know how else to say hopes and dreams. But we talk about hopes and dreams. Here's how transformation happens, you guys. His perspective changes us. So let's say I've had an interaction with one of the people in my world, and it did not go well. And in fact, it produced some yuck that I'm embarrassed about. It is so helpful. It is life-altering and changing of my personhood to hear God's perspective on that topic. To either hear him say, yeah, Ange, that was embarrassing. I can see why you don't like that you acted that way. Do you want me to forgive you? Because I would be happy to do that. I would be happy to help you forgive you. His perspective is altering of my person. Transformation happens in God's presence because his perspective is different than ours. And the more often we spend with somebody, the more influence they have on our lives. That their perspectives begin to be our perspectives. That their language begins to shape our language. That their debriefing style becomes our debriefing style. That's just true. Have you ever had a new bestie that you start picking up their phrases? I am determined to use this platform to help us pick up on the phrase pish posh. (laughs) It's going to happen. It will be part of how I influence our community. Um, But when you hang out with your friends, the more time you spend with them, you pick up hand motions. I have a friend from New Life who uses this hand motion a lot. I am totally picking it up, and I think of her every single time. The same is true with God. When we sit in his presence, we begin to pick up his way of thinking. It alters us. And God had something to say about when we spend time in his presence. I want to take us to a verse, a little set of verses in the Bible. And before I read them, I want you to hear the tone. I want you to hear the tone. This is God talking about how transformation happens. And when you juxtapose this to the myth and the measuring stick... They are night and day difference. This is God's perspective on how transformation happens. He says to us, and he was talking to religious people at the time, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. 
I'm going to go on to read more verses. He is talking about transformation, and he starts with the concept of rest, and he acknowledges that we are most likely weary and burdened. God is familiar with the measuring stick that we are being whacked with, not because he invented that measuring stick, but because he's watched millennia of people fall for this myth over and over and over again. Come, rest, take the burden off. You don't have to be weary. I can cure that exhaustion. You don't have to hustle. Come, I will give you rest. Let's go on. This is how I know this. these verses are about transformation. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That does not sound like the same concept as step number one to me. Verse, sentence number one, come to me and rest. A yoke is for a beast of burden. It was what you put on cattle and oxen in order to plow fields. That was actually a statement about labor. But he is saying, when you think about work, and when I think about work, it's different. When you take my labor on, when we go to talk about the various things in your life that you want to talk about, that you want my perspective on, when you and I link up together, I will give you rest. You will learn from me, and the result will be rest. You will not be weary and burdened. I will empower you not to pull up your bootstraps harder. I will empower you to let go. I will change you in ways that the hustle just goes away. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And then I love this. I am gentle and I'm humble at heart. That is the opposite of the picture that I have of the ruler beating me over the head. I am gentle. I am not morally superior. I am not a jerk lording this over your head. I'm gentle and I'm humble at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. If you will sit with me, I will change you. And you do not have to hustle to make it happen. It's just being with me, hearing me talking with me, sharing your thoughts, hearing my thoughts, that you will be changed. And then there's one little line that I just love, verse 30. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Don't you just want to sigh? Like, Take a deep breath. You are in God's presence right now. Take a deep breath. That's our God. That is his idea of transformation. That is how he believes it happens. And the result is rest. But he doesn't say push super hard for a little while and eventually you'll get it figured out and then it will be easier. And that is how most of us interpret the Christian life, is it not? No. Stop the hustle. Sit with me. Talk. Listen. Share. It is the relationship that is the point. But it's scary to believe it's not in our control. It's scary to believe that self-reliance is not the answer. It's scary to stop hustling because what if it isn't true? What if I don't figure out how to get into God's presence? I would like to challenge you to dare to believe. 
We come here because we want to experience the next step in our spiritual walk with God. If you are not a Christian and you are seeking it out, you want some answers. I know that. That's why you come here. If you have been a Christian, you come here because you want to be inspired on that walk. I'm going to challenge you to dare to believe a few things today. This is our application, is how we believe. Popping a myth, bringing the truth in. Dare to believe the truth, that the point is not my sin. God is not fixated on my sin, and neither should I be. The point is the relationship. And dare to believe that transformation happens in God's presence, not through my efforts. Will you dare to believe it? That's going to be uncomfortable. That's going to be uncomfortable. We have a sense of urgency to get this stuff out, and it's easier to believe that I can actually make that happen. And then I want to point back to last week's teaching because I think just Ron just killed it. The engagement zone is the place to be. And if you don't know what I mean by that, go back and listen to last week's podcast. He showed this chart that I just thought was brilliant. This is the engagement zone. When God and I are talking about all of this, This is what that looks like. So if you wonder, but I don't really know how to get into God's presence. I don't really know how to pray. I don't really know how to do the thing where you're saying that's where transformation happens. Last week's teaching is spot on to that topic. And then I also have hope for you because starting next week, our new teaching series is called Way to Pray. For so many of us, the act of prayer is mysterious and scary and uncomfortable. And for some of us, it's a should rather than I want to do this. We're going to spend multiple weeks talking about how to pray. Is there a way to pray that makes it more impactful? How do those people who talk about how God speaks to them, how do they have that happen? How do I actually get into God's presence to do this engagement zone thing? We're going to spend weeks talking about ways to pray in order to light up these conversations, in order to get into that engagement zone. So we want to empower you in that way. So When we walk out today and it's like, okay, what do we do about this myth? One, I think it's so helpful to just acknowledge the misconceptions that are beneath it so that you can begin to poke holes in them to let go of those misconceptions. Then two, I would dare you to believe the truth. And then three, I would invite you to come back and hear other ways to get into God's presence so that transformation can happen without your hustle. I'd like to pray. I'm going to wrap up this teaching with a prayer, and then I'm going to talk a little bit of church business with you. So let's pray. I'd like to bless you as we wrap up this series. God, I have loved how you have called us out. I think this is so typical you that even when you're telling us, hey, you don't quite have that right, that somehow it feels empowering. Somehow it feels like you are empathetic. Somehow it feels like we are not alone. Somehow it feels hopeful to talk about the lies that we're believing. And I thank you so much that you don't just say, hey, that's not working, but that you also bring with it a sense of hope and some truth. I love that you speak truth, that you will always tell us the truth. It's so uncomfortable to have you looking at our rubbish, but the truth is every time you look at our rubbish, there is some degree of relief when we can hear you say you understand, when we can hear you say, I know why you believe this. Let's talk about the truth and get that out. I have loved this series. I pray in this coming week that you will have it be rumbling in our hearts, that we will just be chewing on it, that you'll help us spot the places, that we are living as though this whole thing about perfection is true. 
pray that we would feel your presence even before we might be able to hear your voice, even before we build confidence that we know how to predictably get into your presence. Pray that we would feel your presence in these moments as we experiment with debunking this particular myth. It's in Jesus' name. Ah, we thank you for your presence. But amen. Uh, okay, I'd like to switch gears. I'd like to talk business for just a little minute. Go back to the construction. If, you have, if you're new to New Life in the last few months, you might not know what we're doing over there. So I just want to tell you a little bit about that. We have spent the last year and a half dreaming big dreams about how to be effective with the next generation. And those dreams have translated to construction plans and all kinds of other changes, like months of training of our volunteers and a whole bunch of paradigm shifts. So the first construction that you can see here, but you're also actually welcome to take a peek around the corner. If you walk down this hall, you can see some of the other stuff that's happening. We needed to bust out some walls to make some new classrooms. We needed to make different kind of pathways and all kinds of stuff. So this is the beginning of a couple of months of, oh, that changed this week. Oh, that's new. Oh, that's... The ultimate unveiling is September 22nd, so we have a ways to go. And as of next Sunday, our children um, in our preschool departments will be in different classrooms because we need to get them out of the dust. So all kinds of exciting stuff is happening. You're welcome to ask anybody in the departments this morning for more details or myself. But you guys, we're on our way to this launch we've been working on for two years. We were so happy to whack the walls down. Like, yes! Uh and then I have one other bit of news. So a church is not defined by its building. A church is defined by its people. That is how God defines it, that the church is defined by its people. And a church is only as healthy as its leadership. Whatever is at the top is the support system, is the feed system, is the fuel system, and that's what you're going to find elsewhere. So I'm going to tell you some news that you might be tempted to think is bad news. It is not. It is our church being led healthy and well. So Justin has been on staff with our church for 20 plus years. So just, that's Justin. And he is leading our church in one of the healthiest moves I have ever seen a church leader lead. For two years, Justin has been in prayer about where God is calling him. And he has dared to hear the truth, even though it is very uncomfortable. Justin has been called to be a math teacher. And a middle school math teacher, which like puts his halo right on his head. You guys, when I think about that man going into our education system, I'll just say this, his school, his, the school that hired him, he has a job already. The school that hired him called me and it was kind of embarrassing how much I gushed. Like I, when I think about this kind of human being going into our education system, I have so much hope for our next generation. We need people to follow God's calling in their life. And the courage that you have shown, Justin, in making this transition inspires us. And I'm so proud of you. So Justin, this is Justin's last um, staff Sunday. He is still on our worship team. He's going to lead one of our worship teams. This is still the Bartlow's church home. They, he got a job in Roanoke Park. Like it's at his kid's school. Like 
yay God. It's got God's fingerprints all over it. So we just want to honor 20 years of service with this ridiculous token that is not even close to what uh, you deserve. But <laughs> rumor has it. <laughs> I'm sorry, Jessica, you got no excuse now. Rumor has it they're wanting to take a trip to Universal Studios. It's just a little tiny token of the love that we have for you and the gratitude that we have. Justin, I just have a word, me to you, but I get the microphone so everyone gets to hear it. Your integrity the man that you are, the work ethic that you have brought, the courage and humility, the teachable spirit. You are everything new life could ever hope for in a staff member. And we are so proud. If you were not headed somewhere that we were just so excited about, this would be gutting us. We are so proud of you and so grateful for how you have put your fingerprint on this church and so grateful that God is keeping you here to continue to be the person that you are. You will continue to mark our church by being who you are. Thank you for 20 years of friendship. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.